Amen. And he was eaten by worms and died. 
So several generations of the Herod family are mentioned in the scriptures. And what is remarkable about them, remarkable about them, is that they are all noble. They are ambitious, murderous, violent men. They rule with an iron fist. Herod the Great murdered Bethlehem's boys at the birth of Jesus. Herod Antipas, one of Herod the Great's sons, was the Herod that beheaded John the Baptist, the one who questioned Jesus at his trial. Jesus called him that fox. Herod Agrippa I, who shows up today, murdered the Apostle James and was getting ready to murder Peter. So when you look at the family of Herod, you cannot miss the reality of evil. It is the reality of evil that makes the world and life tough. And the church was absolutely stunned when James was martyred. Maybe they hoped that Stephen's martyrdom was the only one. Maybe they hoped that Jesus would have come again, or that he would protect them from that kind of suffering. But he didn't. In fact, he promised that kind of suffering. And now James is dead. And soon enough, we discover that we live in a season when sometimes it seems like Herod's Herods are all over the place. The world is still broken. Our bodies still get sick and old. Tragedy still happen. Temptation can get the upper hand. Evil is unavoidably real. Secondly, the persecuted apostles teach us about the defeat of death. Verse 2 and follow. Herod had James and brother John put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was bringing the trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So the background here is that Herod notices that the Jews are now worried about these Christians. There have been thousands of conversions. There have been Gentile conversions. And the Jewish leaders are worried and anxious and jealous. And Herod, who's never been too popular anyway, sees a chance. So he arrests James, trumps up charges against him, and has him beheaded. And Herod's popularity spikes amongst the Jewish leaders. Now, if you notice something, James, our Saint James, is beheaded by Herod. And the brief sentence we have in verse 2 is all we hear about it. It's just a quick, blunt summary. For political gain, Herod murdered James. No other details. It's very, very brief. I mean, James is a huge figure in the Gospels. He was the brother of John, one of the three disciples that were closest to Jesus. Peter and James and John 
were the only ones there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal. This is James. And here he is, brutally murdered by Herod. And we have a report in a dozen words, not a sentence about his trial, no last words, not even a biographical paragraph about his ministry, just a single brief sentence. <coughs> and I think that that tragedy speaks. What it says, I think, is that death is not the last word. Not anymore, not ever again, not since the resurrection of Jesus. And Luke knows it. Evil may be real, but death has been taken down. Death has been defeated. Death has been dethroned. It will not be long before in Christian history one's death day is treated as one's graduation day. Because that's what death is since our Lord's resurrection. And that is the reason I think that this verse is so brief. Now you see the same with Peter. It's the night before his execution. He knows that a sword awaits him about 24 hours. He's chained up. He's surrounded by four guards. And what is he doing? The night before Herod was bringing him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He's sleeping. And you only sleep in a moment like that if you know that death is not the last word. Peter knows evil may be real, Herod may be king, but Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord. He has taken death down, he has defeated it, he has dethroned it. Even if the worst happens, he gets to be with Jesus. And consider the praying church. This teaches us that God is greater than our imperfect faith. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Verse 14 and 15, when the maid recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door, you're out of your mind, they told her. People are praying, people, Peter is sleeping. The Lord has to send an angel to wake him up, get up, get dressed, follow me, chains drop off, guards sleep, cell doors open, iron gates open, and Peter is outside before he's even fully awake. And after the angel gets Peter out of prison, he goes to the house of John Mark and his mother, where they were praying, it's late at night, and knocked on the door. Verse 13 and following. A girl named Rhoda came to the door when she recognized Peter's voice. She was so overjoyed. She ran back in without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. She's so stunned, she does not open the door. They think it's unbelievable. They tell her she's nuts. They're praying for Peter's deliverance. God answers their prayers, and they don't believe it. They will not open the door. 
They had enough faith to pray, but not enough to expect an answer, to God answer anything. God is always greater than our imperfect faith. And then one last personality to note. The risen Jesus who teaches us that the good news is everywhere. Verse 17. Peter motioned with his hand that he be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. When Peter got inside, he told them, look at the phrase, how the Lord had brought him out of prison. So by the end of the chapter, there is no doubt in Peter's mind who is in charge of him. Not Herod, not his sword, not his guards, not the fear of death. It is the risen Jesus charge, and Peter knows it. And Luke, the author of Acts, sums it all up with a phrase he uses again and again in the book of Acts. The verse just after our reading ends, the word of God continued to increase and spread. So notice the movement here. We started out the chapter where things looked really bad. Herod was on a rampage. James has been murdered. James has been murdered. Peter's been arrested. Tomorrow, Peter is going to be executed. The believers in Jerusalem were huddled together behind locked doors and praying, not with a lot of confidence, not with a lot of faith, but they were praying. And by the time the chapter ends, we have been reminded that death is not to be feared, not anymore, not ever again, not by any believer in Jesus. Herod has met his fate. Peter is free. The church is astounded. Everywhere Jesus is being talked about, the word of God is loose. There is good news everywhere. And that is the message of the whole of this Easter season. God is that word. His gospel is that strong. You can trust Him in every season that life brings to you. And that there is good news 